Hello, welcome to the show. We have Eric Fritz, CMO of Arkimoto. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, first official actual working person at Arkimoto. We've had a board Oof. member and then kind of uh, a battery folks who work with Arkimoto, and now we have an Arkimoto person himself. Yeah, high bar. I'll try to do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So what's, uh, what's kind of your scope of field? What does the CMO do? How would you explain your job to the public? So Chief Marketing Officer at Arkimoto oversees the creative uh, the communications, the events, and the web sales departments. Um, and so those are, you might, might, like you might expect from the, uh, from the titles, creative is like uh, design of creative assets and management of the brand. Uh, communications is uh, outgoing messaging and uh, you know, communicating with our, our uh, PR agencies and our IR agencies. Uh, the events is scheduling and managing and, and uh, uh, conducting events and the web sales is dealing with online uh, advertising and marketing and trying to drive those uh, those sales. Yeah, so you got quite a bit on your plate there, I take it. That's yeah, a little bit, yeah. Uh, but day to day, I assume you mostly actually like work with the people who are hired to fill those exact positions. Yeah, it's a lot of team building, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, working with people and on whether that's an individual task uh, that they're working on that I can help with or. Uh, or, you know, escalating those things that uh, need to be escalated to uh, management so that we have some sort of, uh, some sort of uh, you know, pass off on, on yeah, certain things. Get some resolution for stuff. So how yeah. long have you been with Arkimoto? So I started with Arkimoto in 2010. Uh, uh, yeah, quite a while ago. Over a decade. <laughs> I, wow. I worked, I worked uh, here uh, until uh, 2013. Um, and uh, at that point, uh, we still like to say we're a startup, but uh, at that point, we were really a startup. Uh, uh, and uh, we had gone through, you know, some rounds of fundraising and some rounds of layoffs. And there was a point where, uh, you know, product was still in development and we needed, you know, as many people cranking on that as we could. Um, and the marketing was less important as we, you know, did not have a finished product yet. So I just took some time off and said, hey, when you finish the product, I'd be happy to come back. And lucky for me, they invited me back when they finished the product. So straight from 2010 to 2013, you were already CMO of Arkimoto? Well, no, we didn't really have those kinds of titles back then. Mm. I think my title was marketing guy or <laughs> marketing you know, guy, yeah. something like that. Uh, it was basically me and uh, Jeremy Bronson in, in marketing. Beautiful. And then, so from there, when you come back, is were you still a marketing guy or straight back to CMO once it was more? I think we more? very quickly moved to a uh, marketing director um, and, you know, as we started to build out the team and, you know, created sub-departments and, and that sort of thing, then uh, it elevated to chief marketing officer. Beautiful. What's your background to getting into this sort of work? Were you ever, like, hands-on or feet-on-the-ground kind of person, like, making the content now you know, like, you're less so actually making it and more of kind of directing it as a whole? Uh, yeah, that's fair to say. Uh, my my uh, bachelor's degree, actually, is in biochemistry. Hmm. So uh, nothing related to business or marketing, um, but my first job, uh, which I worked at, uh, you know, since as a sophomore in high school all through um, my college years, uh, was at Learning Services, which is an educational software reseller here in town. Um, and you know, I was doing boots on the ground content. Uh, you know, they they. So it's an interesting story. We'll do a sidebar here, and if it's yeah. too much, then we can cut it. But uh, 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 Learning Services is founded by John Crowder. He was an educator, um, 
and uh, he started uh, tutoring special needs kids uh, in his garage uh, after school. And this was at the advent of, you know, uh, computers and, and computer software coming online for educational purposes. So he'd buy, you know, Reader Rabbit and Math Blaster and put on, on his Apple IIe in his garage, and the kids were learning and doing great with it. So they'd go home and, you know, tell mom and dad what they learned, and mom and dad would come to him and say, this is amazing. Can I buy this software? Where do you get this? Um, and he'd say, well, I'll sell it to you. I'll mark it up 10% and sell it to you. And that was like the start of the second largest educational software reseller in the nation. Uh, he grew it to that size. And so uh, I started working with them and they quickly found out that I was on, you know, school paper and yearbook and such. And uh, so they had me start laying out their catalog which back then the 200 page catalog twice a year was the biggest marketing tool they had. Um, and so I worked on that all through um, college, you know, telling them ways to make it better and software they should be purchasing and how to, how to make it easier. Uh, and by the time I had the decision of continue on to medical school in six more years of debt and education or, uh, you know, take a position in this company where I already had a lot of experience and, you know, had a, had a, uh, start of a career. Um, I chose that path. And so that was how I got into marketing. Yeah. It's a quick moving field. Have you noticed that just the changing over time, it's like almost hard to keep up or it's just a lot to be like, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's why I rely a lot on the team, uh, and bringing in good, good folks and good talent who, uh, have their finger on the pulse. It's no longer a 200-page catalog. Now it's, you know, you got Instagram, yeah. Twitter, TikTok, exactly. YouTube. It's like, <laughs> holy it's, cow. It's still 200 pages worth of content, but it's spread across, you know, 50 platforms, and it's changing on a weekly or daily basis. It's yeah. a good way to put it. So what's your favorite aspect of your job, like your favorite part of what you do now? Did you enjoy the work back then of actually, like, making it, or do you enjoy kind of uh, working alongside people and overall directing the direction of things? Yeah, I enjoy the kind of collaborative creative process more than uh, just about anything. So... Uh, so that's where I like to spend my time is with folks, uh, thinking up cool new ideas and, uh, and, uh, making, seeing them happen. I like it. Do you have anything on the horizon that you're excited for? Like new platforms or new kind of ideas that you're excited to implement? Well, there's, there's a lot of stuff related to ramp it up, which just happened. Um, so a lot of stuff. Uh, was kind of just announced, and it's kind of like uh, popping the cork on the champagne where now you can, uh, you know, spread out some of the things that you've been working with. So uh, we're really excited to develop the campaign for the MLM uh, and uh, more than just on the marketing side, seeing how that product develops on the engineering side as well, um, and then just continue uh, on pace with uh, some of the other vehicle offerings. Absolutely. Behind you right now, there will be two FUVs, but uh, once it's uh, very green right <laughs> it's now, very green. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's some imagination at this point. But sure. once yes. there is an MLM that we can film with, it'll be an MLM, a Roadster, and an FUV, so it can kind of be showcased behind the person the whole time. Excellent. But yeah, that's exciting. So, is this kind of like where you foresaw your career going to when you were back making those 200-page things, or did you think you were going to go back into biochem? No, absolutely not. I did not think I was going back into biochem, but. Uh, I thought it would be something uh, games related, uh, and that's why I jumped at the opportunity to join Mark at Garage Games. Uh, Beautiful. We just heard <laughs> Doug talk about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, um, 
yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a longtime gamer. Uh, board games, video games, anything. Uh, big big fan. Um, so uh, when you know, as Garage Games started getting uh, getting larger, a larger organization and needed more help, uh, Mark invited me. At that time, I was living in Seattle, but he invited me to come back down uh, and uh, help him out on that project. And I said absolutely. So that's kind of where I thought the the uh, career path was going. Mark probably thought the same thing at that time, <laughs> but uh, here we are in automotive. Yeah, and so speaking with Doug, we're going to be re-recording his episodes. So it'll come out in a handful. Um, he mentioned that he was actually still at Garage Games once Arkimoto had started. Did you make the immediate hop to Arkimoto from Garage Games? Or it was not delayed? immediate, but uh, but I had I had stopped working for Garage Games um, for. Um, I don't know, it was about uh, six months to a year uh, before I hopped on board at Arkimoto. Right. And so the whole time you kind of mentioned that Mark brought you into Garage Games. When did you meet Mark? Did you know him before you actually worked with him? Uh, we actually shared a womb. We're twins. Uh, Lynn is my mother. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a quite a ways back. Uh, uh, middle school. Oh, wow. Roosevelt Middle School here in Eugene. That's, I would not have guessed that. Cliff, uh, Cliff Volpe, who will also yep. eventually be on the show, he is uh, also one of your kind of cohort in that field. He was a year ahead of us, yes. How many folks who, who were all in that cohort? It's actually everyone except you two oh. is from South Eugene High School. No. There we go. Uh, we're north. Uh, there, I, I mean, over the years, we've certainly had other uh, alum. Um, I'm trying to think. I better say nothing because if I don't remember someone, then they're going to come up to me later and say, yo, I was at Southwood. I sat behind you in <laughs> yeah, Spanish class. Right, exactly. Uh, but I don't think, again, I'm, I'm just saying nothing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I can respect that. And so, Chief... But, but uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, yeah. But I think there, you know, there, there might have been something in the water because there's a lot of uh, 92 grads uh, that have gone on to do some amazing things. Uh, one of the principals that at WeWork was a 92 grad and uh, you know there there's some folks up in Portland doing some amazing stuff so and so with all this amazing stuff going on in the world and it sounds like with your previous jobs you were there for a couple of years handful of years and you swapped what keeps you uh, pegged Arkimoto and loving it and working on this as your your primary focus in life well uh, I think I mean there are several things uh, you know it's I believe in uh, the product I believe in the mission uh, I believe in the company and the people that are in it. Uh, it's just, uh, it's been amazing to see it grow and still retain that, uh, that kind of, uh, that, you know, kernel of innovation and uh, just passion. And uh, uh, everyone there is just super cool to work with and makes coming to work easy. That's got to be a joy to have your horizon be stable of still being at the same place rather than like a lot of people with jobs are kind of constantly looking for the next thing to move to. But what does that look like when you're at the top of a chain? It's like the only thing you jump to is CMO, maybe potentially another company. But if you love this company, it's like that's a lot of stability. In life. Ride or die, man. Ride or die. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Um, so day to day, what for people listening who are most likely never a CMO or have ever been a CMO, maybe have interest in it, what is kind of what does your day-to-day -day look like in the terms of what do you do that helps Arkimoto achieve its vision? So uh, a lot of meetings, <laughs> kind of unfortunately, but uh, it's it's the world we live in. Um, uh, but um, we are, you know, kind of structuring that better so that we have, you know, 
uh, those who work with us have access to us, but we also have time uh, set off to for you know uh, top level strategy and planning. Um, so there's you know some level of meetings throughout the mornings, and then uh, I try to segregate the afternoons so that I have some time to spend with each of the teams working on the stuff that they're working on. Okay, so mornings you listen to the other C-suite, maybe the board of directors say, "Here's the goals," and then you kind of translate that to the rest of the team. Generally, yes. Big communicator. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. And so in the world of marketing, because it's kind of abstract, like do you have a specific part that you think is either the most important or your favorite to work on? Because, I mean, you could consider anything from just like actual outreach of like messaging people to sending flyers to digital. Do you have like kind of a gravitation toward one form? Of so marketing? in general, in the world we live in, I feel that online marketing is probably the most important you know, platform, but with Arkimoto, it's a little bit different in that uh, the product that we are marketing is something so different that it's hard to uh, engage people and capture that in an online arena. So um, you may have heard Mark talk about the right of the Arcanauts. So that's an initiative that we're putting together, which is you know, basically a tour around the country so that we can get people to sit in this thing and realize what we already know, which is that this product is amazing. Um, but really you need that, uh, that butts in seats effect uh, in order to get the results that we're looking for. I'll take the shirt off to rep the actual <laughs> yeah. right. Oh, there you go, you're wearing the shirt. I'm Perfect. wearing the shirt, we, we, <laughs> we were part of that first thing. And that's a fascinating aspect of it is that when you have a two to $50 item, it's quite easy to sell online. Someone can see a video and go straight to purchasing that item. Whereas far other side, if you're selling a helicopter, 200 you know, million dollar item, online marketing would do almost nothing. It's purely feet on the ground, actually calling people, speaking to people directly. And so we kind of fit in that little niche in the middle where both are useful, but it's like, you know, you don't have the manpower to phys like manually sell every vehicle, but also digital marketing. So what have been your tactics to kind of bridge the gap or find where on that spectrum we fit? Well, sure. Uh, w really, we, we, we haven't really had the means to produce, pr pursue uh, kind of either route as effectively as we ha would have wanted uh, up until, you know, very recently. Um, so we're definitely bolstering effort on uh, both sides. Um, uh, but, you know, from up until very recently, it was, uh, it was all just small team uh, going to events where possible, um, you know, trying to make the most out of those events in that, you know, setting up uh, meetings or pop-ups or uh, customer outreach uh, while doing those events which is really roto when it comes down to it. It's just putting, you know, a little bit more effort and planning and uh, and dollars behind it. Yeah, butts and seats is literally the best salesperson. People kind of sell themselves on the vehicle once they get the chance to use it, mm -hmm. which is one of the kind of restraints that you have being in a couple states and you don't have a vehicle there for everyone who wants to try it. Right. So do you see roto as a good bridge for that gap of, you know, people see it and then they're like, you know, you can't be completely sold on something until you actually try it out yourself. It's it's true, and uh, I think you know beyond Rota, just our our events team in general has is really uh, kind of picking up the ball uh, and running with it this year. Uh, we have more events scheduled than than ever before, and those should be up on the website very soon if they're not yet. Uh, uh, and then we will you know have uh, um, a Rota tour that goes from event to event uh, 
uh, and kind of spreads the word beyond Beautiful. that. Do you ever see yourself being part of it? I'll get back on the road here too. I, I was a road warrior for a long time for Arkimoto, so uh, got a little burnt out on it uh, early on, but uh, I'll get back out there for sure. What are those early days? So it wasn't even called Roto back then. It was like Vision Quest or whatever it oh, was. Sure. Well, so uh, in 2000, June of 2010, I think uh, in July, so a month after I started, uh, we were on the road down to... Uh, down to the Bay Area, Santa Clara, there was a you know plug-in hybrid EV uh, show that we were showing at, and we were showing uh, Prototype 3, the Pulse, um, which I don't know if you've seen in person, but it was basically uh, a Yaris cut in half and then glued back together. Uh, it, was the, it was the one that had the most automotive styling, uh, but it was a beast. It was, uh, it was a little bit overweight and needed to go on a diet, and uh, it was a little sluggish. Um, um, didn't you know have the latest and greatest technology in it but we got uh down there and we had you know meetings along the way and uh we got down there and then mark was like all right good luck uh (laughs) and so uh, i did that show by myself a month in uh talking you know as much as i knew about the product which was very little being only there a month yeah (laughs) um so that was kind of a trial by fire but uh that was very early days. Uh, the the middle early days were, um, you know, just a lot of uh, going to these shows with more support and more knowledge of the product and an easier one to cart around. Um, uh, and but uh, we also got some support early on from uh, from Nathan Fillion, and uh, uh, those were some of the fun trips getting down to L.A. and kind of showing it off to to the. Uh, Cool Kids Actor Club. Yeah, and then a little bit later on, Mark Wahlberg as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who knows who will be next? Potentially Shaq. Who knows? Yeah, it'll, right. it'll be fun <laughs> to see which celebrities eventually are in pubs. And so when you're at events talking to people in person, how do you pitch it as the vehicle forever? Like, we just got a social media comment today where it's like, oh, I could go grab donuts in my truck. I'm like, yeah, but like 90% of drives are one or two people going a short distance. It's like, do you pitch it as um, kind of people's sole car replacement or like, like, how do you think the FUV best fits into modern transportation? Yeah, so uh, great question. And, 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 that, and that puzzle, like how to convince people of something they already know uh, is, is another one of the things that kind of drew me to this is uh, uh, the, the, the right sizing of transportation is more interesting to me than the electrification. Both are, both are necessary, but uh, that's... That's a, uh, people are already solving the electrification, doing it well, right? Uh, the right sizing, no one seems to be addressing very, very well. Um, so that's definitely where, um, where, uh, where I enjoy that, the sandbox I enjoy playing in. Um, but uh, to answer your question at shows, um, I find that many times uh, when you're showing at like, uh, and I'll show you'll be in some sort of EV section and the people that are coming towards you and, and, and looking at the thing kind of already get it. Um, but there are a few of those that, you know, you have to have a conversation with and, um, and if it's not for them, it's not for them. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not kind of a, a a hard pusher on the, on Arkimoto. Uh, I just try to explain, you know, um, you know, and, and we do it with questions, you know, like how, uh, how do you use your vehicle every day? Um, what do you do? You take it to work? Oh, how far is work? How many miles do you drive? Oh, do you have a family? Do you take the family out every day? Or is it, you know, just on the weekends? And you just ask those questions and you get people to realize, oh, 
this would handle most of the things that I do on yeah. a daily basis. It does just take a little bit of thinking and people kind of sell themselves on where it fit into their own lives. And so when you're at a place where you are kind of like potentially pushing it, what do you think are the strong points? Like I personally just being in a part of the marketing and media department, I figure the $2 char to charge for 100 miles is a massive selling point. And then rather than necessarily as an alternative to cars, an alternative to motorcycles for people who have a wife and then they recently had a kid and motorcycles a little bit too dangerous. It's like, it, it's hard to dispute that it's more useful and safer than a motorcycle. And, and for people who are kind of looking for a transition from a car, it's less expensive, especially with, I mean, everyone in the news right now is gas prices. Yeah. So those are definitely two angles and that kind of fits into, you know, uh, uh, demographics and, and uh, whether you're able to gauge your audience as they're coming in or you know a specific audience that you're going to talk to. Like if you're going to the Tesla Owners Association, you know they're already bought into, uh, you know, efficiency and sustainability and electrification. Whereas if you're going to Daytona Bike Week, you know that you're talking to motorcyclists and you can kind of uh, tailor the, the presentation that way. But certainly those are good points. Um, I think just the the big picture of the whole thing is the is the is the best selling point. It's like we need to do this. It's fairly obvious, you know, that uh, large large gas guzzling automobiles are uh, ruining our climate and our roads and our peace of mind and everything. So. Yeah, making life harder for bicyclists, having bigger vehicles every year. Just So like right-sizing mobility, it'd be beautiful if there was ever like maybe a, a pilot venture of a small town who made the, started making the roads smaller only for, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a three-wheel EV, but an EV that has a smaller footprint to allow for more bike room and foot traffic. I mean, that would, if you think about it, you'd also have to drive less distance because everything would be a little bit closer together with less street space, less parking. A revolutionary. I like it. Yeah. Well, when are you going to start this yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, utopia? Some towns in the world have all their electrical lines like underground. So it is possible for these initiatives to get started. It just takes kind of wide market adoption. So like not to be too forward looking, but do you have like a date out in the future where you think like Arkhamoto will be close to a household name? They're like, so, like some of these bigger revolutionary ideas may be possible. Obviously, it's a long roadway with the ramp opening and 50,000 vehicles, potentially the capability of that many being made a year. It, we're, we're at the tipping point where we're heading in that direction rather than thinking small scale, I'm going to sell to one person. It's like everyone knows and it's just, you know. I'm not going to put a date on it, but I can say it's getting closer. Like if you had asked me uh, in 2012, I would have said we were already been here, but. Uh, yeah, everything's a little bit further out than yeah. we anticipate. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's an interesting show kind of changing because normally it's third cameras with all of us. We're trying to kind of incorporate everyone. Uh -huh. um, being in the C-suite, do you feel a different kind of responsibility compared to the average employee in terms of, uh, Doug said that whenever he like sells or buys stocks, he has to like go through this very publicly, like everything that you do is more in the public eye than an individual working at the company. Like, do you feel the stress of having 250 employees kind of partially like the weight of the, their like livelihood on your shoulders. That'd be a big responsibility. Uh, absolutely. Uh, as far as responsibility goes, as far as, you know, the reporting and implications and uh, C SEC regulations, I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, uh, again, ride or die, I'll just hang on to it forever. Uh, and eventually it'll go to infinity or go to nothing, right? Yeah. Isn't that how stocks work? Uh, <laughs> 
no, but uh, as far as the responsibility of employees, absolutely. Um, but luckily, you know, we have a fantastic team who's killing it. So, um, you know, they're they're looking out for themselves just as much as we're looking out for them. So it's it, and they're looking out for us too. So. Uh, just all works together. It's got to be a joy. What do you? I assume when a new person comes in, what's your kind of way of introducing to the team, and getting them into working as quickly as possible? I mean, that's, that's, is this a loaded question? Seeing how you two joined the team, <laughs> no, I wasn't even going to go there and mention that. But it's fascinating. Like as new members kind of come into the team, it's like there has to be a spot where they fit, where they're not yeah. necessarily taking over someone else's job. So it's like at a certain point before you know someone gets hired, you say, hey, here's a niche that isn't being filled. Or do you just, you know, hire people to take over what someone's doing to free them up? It's like an interesting thing, uh, us, neither of us ever being in a management position of knowing, like, what is it like adding a new family member to the team? Right. So that has uh, changed quite a bit over the years. It used to be, you know, you you uh, find someone, hopefully, that is multi-talented, not just in the thing that you need them for, but also the 10 other things that could be useful. And uh, you just throw them into the fire like I was thrown into at that uh, EV conference and say, uh, here's what we need you to do right now, but also here's 18 other things that uh, could use some help. If you could do them, it'd be great. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, uh, we have had to uh, hone that quite a bit as we have grown, uh, and it's not effective with a large team to do that sort of thing. Uh, so now we... Uh, we identify uh, areas that need expertise and we hire someone specifically for that job. And the onboarding is basically you come in, you are introduced to the team, uh, you know who you're reporting to and who you're managing if you are managing anyone, uh, and you know what your responsibilities are right away. So Yeah, in that uh, kind of monologue there, you explained how that's not how you used to do it. What's the transition been like going from a small company of under 100 people to now well over a couple hundred people? Like that must have been a massive transition for someone in your role. Uh, it certainly was, and also going from, you know, our little shop on Blair to uh, the Amp and now soon to the Ramp, uh, just uh, going from... Uh, tiny space to larger space to many buildings to huge space uh, and uh, with the organization too. Um, and the crazy thing is uh, a big part of that jump, like from, I don't know, 150 to 250 maybe, all happened during COVID. Uh, so a lot of these people I haven't even met in person. It's just met over Zoom or whatever. It's a, it's a crazy new world that we're living in. Um, but uh, certainly uh, the, the level of uh, knowledge over all parts of the company has, has changed quite a bit. Uh, but that's just uh, the, the transition is you learn to rely more on your, uh, your coworkers uh, that, oh, they've got that thing covered. Uh, I can you know, clear the memory banks for that one and uh, save room for something else. Is it an interesting experience? Because sometimes you get like emotionally attached to covering a specific part of the company. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, early on, uh, sales was under marketing, sales such as there were. But, uh, you know, uh, we've we've certainly grown that effort over time, uh, particularly on the uh, commercial side and our fleet offerings. Um, and so... Uh, it was it was a little painful at first, kind of divesting uh, myself of those responsibilities, but uh, it was good overall. So, as CMO, you you don't oversee the sales team. No, we do have, we do we do still have web sales under us, but you know there I could see it, foresee a transition where uh, that moves as well, um, and we're just pure marketing uh, and not handling the 
you know, the sales that come in just over the... And so what's the transfer. differentiation between sales and marketing? Like, is marketing just brand awareness or is marketing brand awareness with the goal of sales? Like, it's interesting how you judge all these metrics compared to how many people read that 200-page paper back in 2010 or whenever that was compared to now. It's like every site has its own way. Is it how many people go to the website, how many people buy it? It's like, that's a lot to kind of undertake. So do you, do you enjoy the direction you're heading with purely more toward brand awareness? Uh, I do, uh, and uh, you know we've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, it's it's uh, you can also differentiate by platform, and the different platforms can have different goals. You can, you know, you can uh, uh, focus brand building on one platform and use another for uh, marketing that is designed to bring customers or potential customers in. Absolutely, and so if online sales were no longer a part of marketing, would ads like uh, ads that play on you know, that'd be a really weird transition between like, well, those are still media yep. and marketing with the goal of sales would kind of be split. I mean, do you have a lot of um, ventures that are you and another C-suite members kind of together venture or is it very differentiated? Uh, some some things are kind of more collaborative and some things are more kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, siloed a little bit. Um, we're trying to break down some of the silos so that, you know, uh, there's at least you know, cross-education among the company. Um, I would say with advertising in particular, that would remain under uh, marketing, but there would certainly be a lot of sales input there. Yeah, it's fascinating. We, uh, as people who kind of feel a lot of the stuff on social media, it's fascinating getting, like a lot of the sales don't go from people going straight to the website and buying it. They still want closer to the helicopter, P, uh, like an actual person talking to them. They message yeah. and say, hey, I own a rental center. Can I carry fubs? Or, hey, I'm interested in buying one. I'm in this state. It's like it, it, it really is kind of a mesh of sales and brand awareness. It's really hard to kind of figure out where that thin line is, which would fall in what department. So sales. Right. Well, even more so, you know, even people that are uh, going on ready to buy, when's the last time you bought a $20,000 vehicle online, right? It's, it's, it's still a process. They want... They want to learn more about it. Uh, so, you know, we have a lot of things out there that will teach them more about it, but a lot of them still want to talk to someone about it. Uh, uh, and, you know, that's that's what we're trying to build up now is the staff that can field a lot of those. And uh, that's the question is whether that is a, those are sales personnel, whether those are marketing personnel, whether there's a mix, you know, yeah. so. It's fascinating. So. With that being said, and as we're wrapping up, do you have any kind of things on the horizon that you're like, I'm kind of started to, uh, excited to start working on this venture in particular, maybe leaving this off my plate? Um, where are you currently at in your, your CMO you know, lifespan, and, and what are you excited about? Uh, well, I, hopefully it's fairly early in my CMO lifespan. Uh, uh, hopefully I will continue to do this for uh, some time. Uh, I think... Uh, Again, going back to ramp it up and uh, some of the some of the things that uh, that Mark brought up, the uh, MLM is a cool product that I'm uh, uh, ready to uh, take the reins of and uh, and see what we can do with. We're excited to start marketing as well. Not yes. to cut you off, but it's like <laughs> no. you know you want to start making footage on yeah. a bike path and stuff, and it's like well, fubs can fit on a bike path, but you know it's like we'll get in trouble if we make footage there. So it's going to open up so many doors for such fun kind of content to be made now. That's like, hey, you've been marketing this one vehicle for a decade now. Yeah. Here's a brand new thing to start marketing. Yep, something new. Yeah, for sure. That's exciting. Are you purely going after like kind of the uh, established electric bike market? Or is that another 
split between the electric bike and the actual FUV. So FUVs between bikes and cars. Yep. And then is the the because it's a slightly bigger footprint than a traditional electric bike. Like, do you see it fitting in its own niche, or um, kind of trying to come in and reestablish yourself in in the existing niche? Well, I think micro mobility definitely as a as a you know. Uh, its own category fits in between the FUV and the bicycle. Uh, and this is definitely a micro-mobility product. I think there would definitely be bleed over into the pure e-bike market and some into uh, those that are looking for a, you know, uh, a, a larger vehicle. So um, I think there's, there's potential for all of those areas and there's, uh, there's a lot of international potential as well. Beautiful. And uh, to kind of wrap it up, if someone were to have more questions or want to reach out to you, uh, could we put your email in the description or what would be the best way to kind of reach out to you or follow, you know, your work? Hit me up in the comments. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, email, fritz at arkhamoto.com, F-R-I-T-Z. Beautiful. Appreciate it. And what would be the perfect person to reach out to you? And a uh, quick example, we have like a battery person on there like, hey, we have the capability of testing this larger thing that not a lot of people can. They just want to further battery technology. Would the perfect person to reach out to you be a potential person who's like, hey, I understand a niche that Arkhamoto isn't filling that I would love to work as an employee or a customer or just people with questions? Like, who would be your optimal person to reach out to you? Uh, someone with uh, the ideal reach uh, to demonstrate a new product. And I know that's kind of a, a weird, vague answer, but uh, I guess the person who that is will know who they are. Uh, and get me with something uh, unique in the email because I get a lot of uh, a lot of solicitors. Put podcast, <laughs> put podcast in the uh, in the title yeah, so he'll know where it comes from. Yeah, All right. right on. Beautiful. Thank you very much for coming on the show. It was a joy speaking to you, and I look forward to working with you for the near future, the long distance future. I love it. Viewing yourself as early in the CMO because you've been CMO for close to a decade or like eight. No, no, well, no, it's been. You know, it's been an evolution. The actual CMO title came in, uh, I think, 2019, maybe. Oh, okay. So you're, okay. My understanding is.